0: Would you remain standing and get a Bible out, either in the pew racks in front of you or on your device, whatever it is. We're going to continue through our book of Second Timothy today. We're in Second Timothy 2, verses 14 to 19. That's found on page 995, the pew racks in front of you. Second Timothy 2, 14 to 19. This is God's word. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray as we seek God's favor and understanding His Word. Father in heaven, we need your help today. We need your Spirit to open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your Word. We need your Spirit to penetrate our spirit, to the very core of who we are. So we ask that you would do that for your glory today. In Christ's name, amen. I wonder if you've ever figured out in this world how difficult it is to distinguish between people who are true or genuine and people who are false or deceitful. You see this Phenomena all the time in the world of arts or music or entertainment. I remember when I was growing up, my favorite song was Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli. Yeah, don't judge. I, I know you like that song as well. It sold millions of records, won a Grammy in 1990, and it wasn't until they achieved Instant fame and sold millions of records. That it came out that they were actually lip syncing the music. The whole group, Millie Vanilli, was based on a lie. You see this phenomenon in sports. I used to love watching Sammy Sosa with the Chicago Cubs in baseball, or Lance Armstrong in cycling, or Marion Jones in track and field. And it wasn't until later that it came out that they were cheating to attain these levels of performance. You see it in politics. Politicians say one thing publicly and then later it comes out that they didn't actually mean what they said or weren't going to do what they said. And as tragic as all these examples are, the most tragic is when we see this phenomenon happen in the church, when pastors or leaders or Christians in general are shown to be impostors, deceitful workers. As I talk to those who don't yet know Jesus, the, often, the most often complaint that I receive from them about those in the church is that the church is full of hypocrites. You say one thing, but with your lives you say you believe another So the question for us this morning is how can we live as genuine gospel workers before God? How can we show ourselves to be genuine? That's what this text shows us as we continue in 2 Timothy. If you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, you'll remember that Paul is writing this personal letter, this farewell letter to his protege, Timothy, from a Roman prison. Timothy is in Ephesus, and you might remember back in Acts 20, Paul had warned the Ephesian elders about what was going to happen there in Ephesus. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Well, that time has come. And now Timothy, who's this young pastor in the city of Ephesus, is dealing with these fierce wolves, these false teachers that are ravaging the church. And it's in that context that Paul has exhorted him to minister with boldness, not in a spirit of fear, but in a spirit of love and power and self-control to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel, to guard it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And for us this morning, in this context, through these commands to Timothy, we see by extension how we can be genuine gospel workers before God. What does it look like to be a genuine gospel worker as opposed to these false deceitful workers? All of us here who name the name of Jesus as Lord are called to be God's workers. Wherever you have been placed, whatever job, whatever family, you are called to be God's gospel worker there if you know Jesus Christ. So the main thrust of our passage this morning the clear call of our text is this to make every effort to present yourself before God as a genuine gospel worker make every effort to present yourself before God as a genuine gospel worker I get that right from our verse 15 in our passage it says to present yourself as to God as one approved being approved here has the sense of being tested And shown to be true, shown to be genuine, like a metal coin that's tested in the fire and comes out pure and genuine. So the question before us is, how do we do that? How do we live as genuine gospel workers in the sight of God? The text helps us to see just that. First, we need to know what to pursue. What to pursue. We see that in verses 14 and 15. Next, we need to know what to avoid. We see that partially in verse 14, but then in verses 16 to 18. And then why does it all matter? We see that in verse 19. So let's think first about what we must pursue in order to present ourselves as genuine gospel workers before God. We must pursue the right handling of God's word. Right handling of God's word. So how do we do that? To pursue the right handling of God's word, we must first remember who we are and what our mission is as believers. So look with me at verse 14. Paul tells Timothy to remind them, that is those under his care there in Ephesus, his congregation, of these things. What things is he referring to? Well, surely just what has come before in the letter, but most likely everything that he has said to Timothy up to this point in the letter. In short, he's telling Timothy to remind his congregation who they are and what their mission is. In College Church, we need the same reminders today. So Christian, who are you? From the text in chapter 1, we see that you are one who God has pursued. If you flip back to chapter one, and verse nine, it says that he, God, saved us and that he called us to a holy calling. But he didn't save you or call you because he wanted you on his team because you were gonna give something extra to his side. It's not because of anything you've done. Verse nine in chapter one says, it's not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. To further blow your mind, God planned this from before the beginning of time. So it says in the text, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. How did he save us? How did this grace come to us? Again, we go to his word, by the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and light and immortality to light through the gospel. He appeared on this earth 2,000 years ago. And he lived and he died and he rose again for you. Friends, this is the greatest news the world has ever known. We were all spiritually dead, and He called us, He pursued us, He sent a way for us to be saved. And He when we trusted in Him, we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And He called us, He gave us an identity, He made us genuine, genuine gospel workers, but He's given us a mission. So you know who you are, but what is your mission? Well, so far in this letter to Timothy, we can conclude that your mission is to guard the message of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. To be strengthened by the grace that he gives. To share this message with others who will then share with others. To remember that he is risen and he is reigning even Now, he's called you to endure suffering for this message. So if you want to pursue the right handling of God's word, you must first remember that your status has been given to you. You are genuine because he has made you genuine. Your identity is secure. All of us here at Cause Church need to be reminded of those things daily. Daily weekly as we gather. That's why we gather to remember the Lord's Supper. We remember a person and we remember an event that Jesus, his body was broken. His blood was spilled for us. It happened and it has changed our lives. It has changed our identity. He has made us genuine. So how can we pursue the right handling of God's word. We see in verse 15. This is an important verse of the text, so we're just going to go through it phrase by phrase. The command there in verse 15 says, do your best. could be translated work hard, be conscientious, make every effort. You get the point. You know what it means to do your best. If you do your best at something, you put all your attention to it. Your schedule is altered by it. You spend time thinking about it. You're focused upon it. And while this command reflects the need for intentionality, be encouraged that perfection is not required. It says, Do your best. The Lord knows your weaknesses, He knows your limitations, but even still, work hard with the strength He gives you. Do your best. To do what? To present yourself to God. The gospel, genuine gospel worker is focused on pleasing God, not on pleasing man. To present yourself to God as an approved worker. We talked about this earlier, but this reflects one who is serving God genuinely as one who has been tested and then approved. And then we get to this phrase, rightly handling the word of truth. Literally, this means to cut it straight. I don't know about you, but I haven't cut a lot of roads in my day. I'm not a construction worker. But this has the sense of having a point A and a point B and cutting a straight trench from point A to point B straight down the line. Rightly handle the word of God. Practically, this means that we must work hard to understand it correctly And work hard to make it clear. It means that we stay on the line to use phraseology from our Simeon Trust friends. We don't go above what the text is saying. And say more than it says. But we don't go and leave stuff out and go below the line. We stay on the line to handle it rightly. It means you don't take shortcuts with the Bible. You don't make it say what you want it to say to excuse your Behavior. You can't turn to God's word and just pluck something out of context and expect him to come through on that promise. You work to see what it actually says. Well, think with me how we can apply this command to handle the word rightly together. Let's think about it corporately and personally. First, corporately. As college church We need to work hard to make the main thing the main thing and to keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus Christ is the main thing as he is revealed in the scriptures. So everything we do here at College Church is focused on that. How do we honor Christ as revealed in his word so that we can do the work of ministry that he has called us to as a church? So how do you apply that? Pray for your leaders. Pray for pastors. Pray for elders. Pray for everybody who handles the word here at College Church. That they would do so rightly. For those who work right now with your children in Kids Harbor. Who are handling the word with them. Those who are teaching our stars. Our musicians who are handling the word and trying to help us to sing back to God, who he is and what he's done. Our women's Bible study leaders, our small group leaders, pray that we would handle the word rightly. That's what we need corporately. But what about you personally? If I were a fly on the wall in your home, what would I observe about how you handle the word? Are you doing your best to handle it? Or does the word get the leftovers of your life? Let me strongly encourage you to set aside time to read it. It Sounds very simple. But that's one step that all of us need. To read it. But then seek to grow in your understanding of it. Study it in community. Learn what other faithful teachers have said about that text But then seek to apply it. The word of God is not meant to just give you an intellectual exercise. But to transform you. To transform your very life. And remember that the spirit of truth. If you believe in Jesus Christ. The spirit of truth is in you. And he will empower you to do this work. So what does a genuine gospel worker pursue? Pursues the right handling of God's word. Now we come to what a genuine gospel worker must avoid, which are godless words. Sometimes we can be deceived into thinking that words don't affect us. We've all heard that phrase growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whoever made up that phrase was just flat out lying because we know that words do hurt us. Paul here says that words hurt us. Words are not neutral. There is a type of talk that will lead you away from Christ. It will lead you away from your faith. These godless words are what Paul has in mind when he commands Timothy to tell his congregation not to quarrel about words in verse 14. When he says to avoid irreverent babble in verse 16. Look there at verse 14 with me. Here we're charged not to get into literally word fights. Meaningless arguments. Which in the context are over undisputed doctrines or belief in our faith. These, these arguments for argument's sake. Why shouldn't we get into these battles over words? Because Paul says these arguments do no good. And not only that, they ruin the faith of those who are listening to the, these arguments. A genuine gospel worker doesn't fight over words when there's nothing to be gained by it. Now don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean we can't have healthy dialogue with an unbeliever about apologetics and why we believe what we believe. It doesn't mean we can't ask genuine questions about our faith and explore intellectually various topics. It means that we avoid these arguments that have no good result at the end. Next, in verse 16, Paul tells Timothy to avoid irreverent babble. He says that this type of talk will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So what is this irreverent babble? Reverend Babel is not edifying talk. It's not uplifting talk. It's not encouraging talk. It's godless talk. It's devoid of God. It's devoid of purpose or meaning. It's devoid of God's affirmation. It's unfitting for God's ambassadors to engage in. And the text says that this godless talk not only leads people away from God, it also spreads like gangrene. Same word was used for cancer in the first century. You may not know what gangrene is, but you know that it's bad. Here's what the Mayo Clinic says about gangrene it refers to the death of body tissue. It's normally in the extremities due to either a lack of blood flow or serious bacterial infection. Paul's saying that this godless talk spreads death. Throughout the body of Christ. Well, these godless words are coming from deceitful workers. Paul calls them out here in Holy Scripture. How would you like to be called out in Scripture for all time? Hymenaeus and Philetus. They were engaging in this destructive talk. This isn't the first time we've heard of Hymenaeus. He was mentioned in the first letter of Timothy in chapter one, where he was partnering with a guy named Alexander. And Timothy has kicked them out of the church so that he would be taught not to blaspheme. Now Hymenaeus is back at it. He's got a new partner in crime, and it's Philetus. And they're leading people astray once again. So what kind of irreverent babble were they spreading? The text says they were saying that the resurrection has already happened. Not the resurrection of Jesus, but the bodily resurrection for believers, They're most likely saying that the resurrection is just a spiritual resurrection. So it doesn't really matter what you do in your body, how you live. In other words, they were attacking the very heart of our faith. So as we try to bring this section close to home for us, how can we be on the lookout for irreverent babble in our world today? What does it look like? Well, it can take many forms. It can start out simply as empty or meaningless talk where God or what he thinks or says in his word is not informing our discussion in any way. This can happen casually with friends or at work, really anywhere. This type of irreverent babble may look like something that's doctrinally incorrect, that, that just seems kind of off. Like the type of talk that says, well, it doesn't really matter how I live or what I do because Christ has saved me. But How I live my life doesn't matter. That leads to licentiousness in our life. Or maybe it's the opposite error, saying these man-made rules are what are required of you as a Christian. That leads to legalism. This is irreverent talk, irreverent babble. Well, how can you avoid irreverent babble? What kind, you can ask yourself, what kinds of words am I engaging in? What kinds of words am I allowing to affect me? Is it God filled talk or godless talk? To get very practical, what are you drawn to on social media? What kind of news feeds on TV or over the internet? Are you looking at? What kind of podcasts are you listening to if you're working out? Are they God filled words? Are they godless words? What do your general default conversations look like on a daily basis? If they are godless, make every effort to avoid them. So, a genuine gospel worker. Pursues the right handling of God's word and avoids godless words. They pursue the meat of God's word and avoid the junk food of religious debate and controversy. So, to present yourself as a genuine gospel worker, pursue the right handling of God's word, avoid godless words. Why does it matter? That's what we come to in verse 19. It matters because as God's gospel workers, the house we're working on, the church, belongs to the Lord. If you look at verse 19, it says that God's firm foundation stands. So it follows that we, as God's workers, must be stewards or servants that must be found faithful. Yes, at this time, false teachers were ravaging the church. Yes, people, maybe even scores of people, were being led astray. This was happening in Ephesus, and this is happening today throughout the global church. But we must not despair, because these people will not get very far. The firm foundation of the church built on Jesus Christ as our cornerstone is not in danger of failing. No matter what it seems like at any given moment, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is the Lord, as evidenced by this seal described in verse 19. Seals in the first century were a symbol of ownership. So to prove his point, Paul goes back to this Old Testament story in Numbers 16 of Korah's rebellion. If you may remember, a leader at that time, a man named Korah, gathered some of his influential leaders around him. And they, not just a few, 250 of them gathered against Moses and Aaron and rebelled against their leadership. And they gathered the whole congregation against Moses and Aaron. In, in response to this rebellion, Moses says these words that are here in 2 Timothy, back in Numbers 16:5, that the Lord knows those who are his. And that second quote is most likely from that same passage in Numbers as well. Those who name the name of the Lord should depart from iniquity. It might be from a couple other places, but probably from this text. So, why does Paul recall this story at this point in the letter? Well, just as Korah and the others tried to rally against God's appointed leaders, now Hymenaeus and Philetus and others were trying to rebel against the clear teaching of Paul and of Timothy. Paul wants to comfort Timothy and and by extension to comfort us, to show us that those who swerve from the truth will not get very far. You'll remember how the story ends in Numbers 16. Moses says to the congregation, separate from Korah, and all those who have followed him. And see the Lord will judge and show who is holy. And so they did that. They separated. In the morning, the Lord opened up the ground. And all of Korah's followers and Korah and all their possessions went straight to Sheol. It's an example for us. It's a warning for us. It should also be a comfort for us. Because the Lord knows those who are his. He perfectly knows who, those who are genuine and those who are false. And he will deal with them appropriately. Friends, the church is going to be infiltrated by those who seek to swerve you away from the faith. Because we have an enemy who wants to swerve you away from the faith. And his workers are deceitful workers. And they follow his ways. But no matter how much people will try, and no matter how much the enemy will try, God's kingdom will not be shaken. So, with that in mind, as we consider. These truths, that those who swerve from the truth will be shown to be fools, that God's judgment against Korah is an example for us, that one day the Lord will defeat all of his enemies once and for all with a word. Whose side are you on? Are you on Korah's side or are you on God's side? I know that you may have come here this morning and you realize that you are not one of God's genuine workers. As we talked about earlier, in order to become God's worker, you don't need to work. Rather, you need to trust in the one who has done the work for you, Jesus Christ. You need to surrender your will and submit yourself to his. And when you do that, he will save you and he will make you genuine. A new creation. So if you haven't done that this morning, I implore you, I encourage you, I beg of you, turn to Christ. But many of us have already done that already. We've already named the name of the Lord. And here we see this second part of the seal. If you name the name of the Lord, then the call for you is to depart from iniquity. Flee false teaching, flee godless words, flee sin in your life. What are you allowing to take root in your life and excusing, forgetting that you are a servant before the Lord Almighty? Depart from iniquity. Well, you may be thinking that if your life were to end today, you would come before God not as an unashamed worker, but as an ashamed worker. Maybe even right now you feel loads of guilt and you're doubting. Am I really a genuine believer? Well, if you have trusted in Christ, hear God encouraging you through his word to remember that he has called you, he has pursued you, he has rescued you, and he will equip you for the work ahead. So press on in his strength wherever you are at today. So genuine gospel worker. Pursue handling God's word rightly. Avoid godless words because they lead you away from the faith and they will destroy others. It's a deadly disease. You can be confident that the Lord will build his church. He will accomplish his purposes. So make every effort to present yourself as a genuine worker before God. Knowing that it is the Lord Jesus that you are serving. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are in awe of you. We are grateful that you have counted us worthy to be called among those you have rescued. So, Lord, help us as we seek to become and to show ourselves as genuine gospel workers. Help us to rightly handle your word. To do so as a church and to do so individually. Help us to flee and avoid godless words. Lord, we affirm that your word and your church will stand forever. Lord, there are some here this morning that surely are holding on to some sin in their life. Help them even now to confess that to you, to not leave here until they deal with that before you in faith. And Lord, help us to behold you as we present ourselves to you, knowing that you have loved us, you have rescued us, that we are secure because of you. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.